0: Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you're not already, you become a Major Spoilers member by signing up at Patreon.com slash spoilers. Huge thank you this week to Ryan, who hit and became our latest gold-level member. Not only did Ryan become a gold-level member, he became one of our yearly patrons. Also, C.W. Hills upped their pledge this week, so big thank you to both of them. You can be like Ryan. You can be like C.W. Hills. You can get access to a bunch of other content when you become a patron at Patreon.com slash Majorspoilers.
1: In this issue, we return to the far long days of yesteryear, or at least the 1970s, as we take to the newspapers to read the adventures of Spider-Man. We got Stranger Things. We got uh, Transformers. We got Shattered Glass. We got people being sued, plus the usual major spoilers, articulation, rumination, lubecubration, and malignation. So roll the bones, connect them to the other bones, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to
0: issue 945 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Yes, even though we have great people like Ryan and C.W. Hills who have become patrons, I just, I couldn't afford Rodrigo and, and Ashley this week, so I had to tell them to both uh, sit on the sidelines uh, while they're uh, while uh, we try to gather our pennies and hope that we will be able to bring them back in the future. Uh, so unfortunately, all I could
1: afford was a Matthew this week. Well, um, I, I do work for peanuts, you know. <laughs> The 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 value of money is different in Kansas, you know. Yes, yes, things are things are things are different here. Uh, Here's something that you do need
0: to know. Matthew and I had what I find uh, a very fascinating conversation this week about Ray Bradbury, um, and what we like and don't like about his work. We also talked about, gosh, I forgot what else we talked about. We had a very lengthy, uh, yeah, we really had a lengthy conversation this week about Bradbury and so much more. And you can catch that. Only in the major spoilers podcast pre-show that you can only get when you become a member at patreon.com/slash major spoilers. In the meantime, let us do some news, shortened news this
1: week. Okay, so this week it became known that the heirs of the Ditko, Steve Ditko estate are preparing to try and legally reclaim the copyright on characters created by the comic book artist, which would include Iron Man, uh, Spider-Man, Thor, Black Widow, and others. But before any of that can go through, Marvel has actually preemptively countersued the heirs to prevent them from suing, I think. I'm not sure if they're suing or countersuing, but all of this is part of a larger termination notice brought on by five different Marvel authors, which, if it does succeed, Does not mean that Marvel loses the characters. It just means that Marvel Disney has to pay potentially scramptillions, millions of dollars to the owners of the copyright. Now, in the past, termination notices like this, uh, specifically those involving Siegel and Schuster and Jack Kirby, were all settled out of court. So we may never find out what. Well,
0: I'm sure we, I'm sure we will find out because Marvel will make a big deal of this, especially since they countersued. So a couple of things about this. Number one, don't worry. Marvel isn't going to lose the rights to these characters. Um, so beyond just the, the Ditko estate, um, there's also Larry Lieber, uh, uh, who's in on this, uh, Steve Ditko, Don Heck, Don Rico, and Gene right. Colon are, um, are also all involved in reclaiming or actually terminating their copyright. So what does that mean? Is it basically is telling Marvel that, uh, these families, these estates want mm-hmm. the copyright back, their portion of the copyright back on these characters. It doesn't give them exclusive rights to the characters because part of the problem with this, and this is what happened in the Jack Kirby case in 2013 is mm-hmm. the um work for hire status that Kirby was under. Because Kirby was a work for hire, even though he had a lot of control over the creations that he made, um he didn't he doesn't own those characters outright. So um Marvel does own that stuff, but a portion of the copyright does go to Siegel and Schuster and Kirby and all of all of these people. And in, in this case, Steve Ditko as well. The other right. problem is uh, Marvel won't lose these because Stan Lee, who is the co-creator on all of these things was a full-time employee of Marvel. And so therefore the company owns all of that stuff. Okay. So mm-hmm. the chances of Marvel completely losing access to these characters is almost nil. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, yes, the, um, these estates could get a lot of money, but there's a caveat to that. I'll come back to that in a minute with a little asterisk. Um, it does mean that these people could, or these estates could go and try to sell their copyright to someone else. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that is, that is likely to happen. I mean, it could right? Uh, somebody, right. Uh, Gene colon who wants to sell uh blade uh, his, his copyright to blade or license that to somebody else. He could most certainly do that. Um, but the problem is any money that's made off of that character also has to be shared with Marvel. And I don't think that there is going to be, you know, a comic book company or a movie company or a, you know, uh, somebody wants to do poster art or something like that is going to be too keen on sharing their profits with Marvel when Marvel doesn't really do anything on that project. So -hmm. that's why I don't think that's going to happen. But then we get into the asterisk of, um, what did I say? The asterisk was Matthew. Um, the, oh, now I forgot what it was. Um, here's the thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, the asterisk is yes. Marvel could potentially pay all of these people money. The problem right. is Steve Ditko, creator of Spider-Man. Can you tell me, Matthew, specifically what Steve Ditko created of right. Spider-Man?
1: What did Ditko create, and what did Stan create, or right? But just Thor, specifically what did tell Larry me. Larry Lieber create
0: right. So specifically tell me what did Steve Ditko create for for Spider-Man?
1: The Di- visual aspect of the character.
0: Ah, okay. But doesn't modern day Spider-Man not have webbing under his arms? And wasn't that a <laughs> Ditko thing? So what ends up happening then is the iterative nature of the character has evolved over the years. Somebody asked me today, um, whether, uh, who had the most impact on the character that they create, that they worked on, uh, Dan Slott, uh, Scott Snyder or Mark Wade on Flash. Mark Wade on Flash, Scott Snyder on Batman or Dan slot on Spider-Man. And I was like, just because of its longevity and the things that he did with that character, Dan slot. Well, same thing that goes into uh, this example here, because, um, anything that Dan slot did, that's different from anything Steve Ditko did. Mm-hmm. They, the Ditko estate doesn't get any royalties or proceeds on anything that came after the base creation of what, of what Ditko did. So then you have to go in and do some minutia of, well, how do we file this off? Uh, it's kind of right. like back with Superman. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the very first Superman comic had Superman and a believe, I believe a Lois Lane character didn't have a Jimmy Olsen that came later. So that's not part of that original lawsuit. The, mm-hmm. the kryptonite, uh, being rocketed from a different planet. All those things came after that. So when they try to gain the rights to Superman, they're really only gaining the rights to that particular Superman. And that particular Superman didn't fly. He was able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. So Anybody that anything that has to do with Superman flying, that is not something that, you know, in this case, the Siegel and Schuster estate could try to get any money on. So this is the problem that it's going to face this lawsuit. Now, in the case of Siegel and Schuster, uh, D.C. settled out of court uh, for that. And uh, I believe with Jack Kirby, I think they lost that suit completely, although the Kirby estate did get a bunch more money uh, from that lawsuit. uh, With that, so that's kind of. If you're worried about, oh, my gosh, all the Avengers are going to go away and Marvel will never be able to use the Avengers again. That's not going to happen.
1: Well, and I think part of the problem is that people misunderstand what happened with Joe Simon and Archie Comics and the fly. Right. Because Archie no longer has the rights to use the fly, but they do have the rights to use fly girl, a derivative character of the fly. And so all they did was replace the fly with fly girl, which is. You know that's two for one. Well, and two, it gets them a female character right. in there in their big pantheon, but it also means that all you really lost was an identical version of a, char- a character that they still have.
0: That's also kind of the sad part about Otto Binder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he created Supergirl, and yeah. what ended up happening is when it went to the courts, they were basically like, "Oh no, um, Supergirl is basically a derivative of Superman, so therefore you can't have." You know, you don't have any control over Supergirl because she's just basically a girl version of Superman. So it's it's kind of weird in that sense. So here's the here's the thing about this whole thing that concerns me and may smell a little fishy Mm -hmm. about this whole thing. The person, the lawyer who is representing everybody in this Marvel case is um, I forget his first name, but it's Tobarov. Mm -hmm. Toborov was also the lawyer who represented the Kirby's and the Seagulls and the Schuster's in their previous cases Mm -hmm. back at the time. Now, again, I'm not trying to commit libel or slander. This is what I recollect and what I recommend or what I uh, not recommend, but what I recollect and remember was Mm -hmm. that in the deal, the lawyer was the one who was getting most of the money in the deal. And so I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that that is, that this is the person who has hmm. got the best interests of the states in mind, is all I got to say.
1: Well, I mean, it really is hard to say, too. You know, there are people who are, are saying, well, why didn't they do something when they were. Like, well, well, there's a uh, lot of reasons why they might not have. Uh, as far as what? As far as Ditko. Oh, okay. Why didn't Ditko sue and why are, why are we having to well, wait? Well, first for of all, Ditko DITCO
0: died two years ago in a very I sad, uh, sad situation.
1: Right. But Ditko also was like, I don't want any part of it.
0: Right. So also keep in mind that prior to 1978, when the copyright law changed in 1978, um, you had 28 years from the publication. So in the case of like um, what Spider-Man was in 64, Black Widow was in 64. Um, you had 28 years. Plus there was a renewal that extended that a further 28 years we are now at the end of that 56 year term. And so now is the time when you say, ah, it's time to no longer continue the copyright. We want to reclaim the copyright for ourselves. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of why if people are like, well, I thought copyright was life of the creator plus 70 years. That's after the 1978, um, copyright change. And certainly with the Sonny Bono, Copyright Extension Act of 1989 or 98, I forget which one it was. This is probably ninety-eight. Um, or aka the Mickey Mouse Copyright Extension Act. That has extended even further. And and for work for hire stuff, copyright extends like 120 years. Uh so it's it's really weird uh in this and how it gets caught up in copyright. And the only reason I know this is because uh uh you today just so happen I actually just so happened coincided that today was the day that we talked about copyright and how copyright works uh um, right. in in my intro to broadcasting class so oh
1: my so god there you that go. takes me back
0: yeah so it's uh it's good times i'm not sure what's going to happen but uh trust me that it's it, you're going to hear a lot more of this and the other thing is everybody keep your keep your ear to the ground and and start telling me when you start seeing any kind of commercials or things that are running on the air that talk about how um podcasters and indie creators, you know, writers, uh, cartoonists, web cartoonists, um, anytime you start hearing over the next two years, how somebody could come in and just take your work away from you. That is a, that is probably more than likely. I haven't seen this happen yet, but this is how I would do it. If I were a wicked organization, by the way, I do own stock in Disney. But if I were a wicked corporation and I wanted to extend my copyright further because the copyright on Mickey Mouse runs out in twenty twenty three. OK, mm-hmm. so that's only a couple of years from now. Um, but if I were an, uh, a corporation, I would start planning things in there going podcasters. Did you know that your work could be taken from you? Well, you know, web web cartoonist. Did you know that someone could just come in and take your works? This is what copyright is all about. And um, and this is the time to protect your work pressure Congress to extend the copyright act. And really it's just Disney saying, Oh no, we want to continue to extend oh. the copyright act for ourselves. So, uh, I expect that that will, will happen. Oh. So be on the lookout for that. Cause I have a feeling over the next year and a half, especially after the 2022 elections, you're going to see some big pressure to get that copyright extension, uh, extended further to protect, to protect Disney's uh, stuff. <laughs> that is my guess.
1: That is what we'll guess.
0: Yeah, that is my guess. So be on the lookout. And let me know yeah. when you see that stuff starting to uh, to pop up. Uh, in the meantime, Doctor Who fans, here's something just for you. Russell T Davies is returning to the series for next season as the new showrunner. Uh, the upcoming season will be the 60th anniversary of the series. Davies previously worked on Doctor Who for the ninth and tenth iterations of The Doctor and is credited for all, you know, the Bad Wolf stuff and the extended uh, storyline that played through all of that stuff.
1: So, uh, yay, Dr. Who fans, Matthew. Um, not necessarily boo Dr. Who fans. I mean, Russell T. Davis did bring Dr. Who back and he did give us several years. I think four years. I think more than that, but go ahead. Um, uh, we'll, well, there was, there was a season of the ninth and then three seasons of the 10th. And then of course the four specials, but nonetheless, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, he has given us some of the most popular parts of modern doctor who Mm -hmm. I feel like for me, the negative part, the part where I'm like, boo, is that this gives all the worst people a chance to cheer and yell about how Chris Chibnall screwed it up and how Jody Whittaker is the worst doctor ever. And, you know, all those SJW yeah. morons yeah. were so wrong. that They had to roll it all the way back to the beginning and give it back to someone who knew what they were doing. And I'm just like, I'm already seeing this nonsense and I'm, I'm already tired of it. Yeah. You know? I, I see that same
0: thing too. And that was my concern when it popped up. And I I thought there were some concerns about Davies with his, something about his stuff that people were very concerned about that may not have been, Totally about well, board, but I'm I'm not sure. But I but I do know that there are a lot of boo girls that are cheering now. The He-Man woman haters clubs are are uh, rallying the cry around uh, Davies yeah. here.
1: There were n- I don't believe anything specific had ever come to light, but Christopher Eccleston, you know, has been saying in recent years that he left because of problems.
0: Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And you know, I kind of I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that. I don't know that he's been officially canceled, but I think there are people who have canceled him uh, for what it's worth. But I also feel like he's a he's a good writer, you know, he's got good ideas. And aside from the fact that his run of Doctor Who was all about either romance or subverting mm,
0: romance, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: I feel like there's not a whole lot to be super, super worried about. I mean, he was really, really. Engaged with the fans, he spent a lot of time doing interviews. This is back when I was still reading Doctor Who magazine, and he was super psyched. To well, he started out as a fan,
0: right? He was he was a fan yeah. that started doing what? Did he write some books and then became part of the show, or what was he doing before he?
1: He was doing TV. He's the oh, guy okay. who invented Coupling, and he did uh, Queerest Folk, I think. Um, but yeah, the guy right now, the showrunner Chris Chibnall, was the one who started as a fan. Oh, uh, okay. And was actually interviewed as a twelve-year-old. Ah, uh, that's right. That's about right about okay, okay. Doctor Who, and and yeah, asked right. one of the writers why do why does your writing suck so much? <laughs> um, what a but, you know what a dick move, right? And then you know thirty years later he's the showrunner and everybody's you know yeah. slamming him. Yeah,
0: that's uh, fun. Anyway, uh, yeah, you can tell I'm a real Doctor Who fan because I don't know all this minutia. So go ahead, feel free to attack me online. Oh wait, I'm a white yes. guy. yes. So attack him online. that's not going uh, to happen. I'm a white guy, Matthew. But here's what can happen. Uh, you, the dear listener, can join the conversation about these stories and a whole lot more over on our Discord server. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free, or and here's what I would really encourage you to do. Um, uh, there's been a kind of a good influx of new people over the last couple of weeks in our Major Spoilers Discord, and a lot of them just so happen to be patrons at the same time. And what's not happening is your people are not linking their Patreon account to the Discord do that because when you do it actually unlocks a bunch of other channels. Like there's a, uh, a critical hit a week early channel. There are secret channels where we go in and uh, just talk about a bunch of other stuff. Um, yeah. BTS stuff. There's also the dueling review channel. Yeah.
1: We have a BTS channel where we talk just about BTS.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, also J- we have, a,
1: is the cutest one. We
0: have a BTO channel where we just talk about Bachman Turner overdrive and how great their songs are. Uh, but there's also the the Dueling Review Stages channel, where we go in on Thursday nights, 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time, and we do a live recording of the Dueling Review for people. And a lot of people show up for that, and we have pre-show chatter and post-show chatter a little bit like the Major Spoilers pre-show, but with people who are in the room. So you can be a part of that when you connect your Patreon account and your Discord account. You can find out how to do that over at patreon.com slash Major Spoilers. Okay. Let us jump into some reviews. So no, Ashley this week, she is out cool. actually doing a, um, uh, what is it? Try out, uh, an, an audition for a part. Yeah. So we, we wish her well on that. And Rodrigo just feeling a little under the weather, uh, right. this week. So I'm sure he'll talk more about that, uh, in the future. So in the meantime, it's just Matthew and I, and we have some comic books that we want to talk about, uh, coming out this week from IDW publishing, Matthew transformers, Shattered Glass. Now, this is one of those like mirror-mirror kind of storylines, right?
1: This is exactly what it is. The Shattered Glass universe apparently, if I understand correctly, started out as just a fan concept where an alternate universe had arisen where the evil Autobots, led by nefarious evil guy Optimus Prime... Oh, you can tell he's evil because he has a goatee. (laughs) No, Rodimus has a goatee. Um, But you can tell he's evil because he's purple and green. Oh, nice. And his uh, Autobot logo is purple. Whereas uh, the heroic Megatron leader of the, uh, the uh, Decepticon warriors has a red symbol, and he's good. Um, but yeah, this world is basically, everything is inverted. So last issue on Critical Hit, no, sorry. Last issue, we uh, spent a lot of time with Blur. Blur, you may recall, is one of the Autobots from the movie back in 86. Um, no idea. And instead of being a good guy, Blur was just an amoral psychopath. And he went to Ratchet, who instead of being you know a, a kind healer, is experimenting on droids and cutting them apart while they're still awake. Um, and he got a bounty to go and find Starscream. Starscream is wanted because he's the heroic second-in-command of Megatron. And so, Starscream ended up running to find Megatron, and this issue is all Megatron. So, loyal lieutenant Starscream, who is a a just a badass jet plane ninja, finds his uh, noble leader hiding in the desert. They have a discussion about how the Autobot cause has taken over everything. The Decepticons have fallen. There's no point in even trying. And, you know, Megatron is adamant that he's not going to get anybody else killed. No more of his people are going to die. And of course, we get some flashbacks to young Megatron and young Orion Pax interacting as Orion, you know, tries to take over the world. Also, it's really creepy to see Optimus with the glowing red eyes of a Decepticon. Wrong, man. But this issue comes to an end with megatron making a decision
0: oh is that to uh destroy the omnicron cube and kill all jedi no no
1: however uh you may have heard of the titans the cyber titans
0: uh one of
1: metroplex yeah oh yeah yeah that one that changes into a a a shopping mall of haze yeah yeah Metroplex does not change into a shopping mall a city. What's wrong with you? But something, something Metroplex may give Megatron the edge. He needs to try and bring down the evil Autobots once and for all. Now, here's the thing about it. Honestly, if you read this issue as a main cast story where Optimus prime had been temporarily routed and was hiding out and he didn't want to kill any more of his people, it would read exactly the same way, which is the brilliance of it, but I think is also the weakness. Yeah. Because the real fun here is seeing loyal, heroic, well spoken, calm Starscream and, you know, a, a well thought out Megatron who is a, a leader of men and, well, a leader of bots. And, you know, Prowl who is a cop, a by the book cop, being a corrupt schmuck it's all about the inversions here. So
0: yeah. As so, what are, so what is, what is Bumblebee? Many, is Bumblebee like this little creepy? Yes, master kind of, uh, bad no guy?
1: Bumblebee is actually the Goldbug, And we haven't seen oh, the Goldbug okay. yet. They talk but about him though. It's implied that he is one of the scariest of the various, uh, little feudal Lords, like a Jabba oh, Hutt type. Man. And if you work for Goldbug, you may not come back alive. Nice. Yeah, so he may actually end up being, you know, a combination of Jabba the Hutt and Leatherface. But all of the best parts of a Shattered Glass book are really there for the people who love the characters and already know them. So if you're enough of a Transformers fan that me saying loyal Starscream, badass ninja, makes you go, ooh, I want to see that, this is definitely a book for you. If you're just looking for a comic book where robots say human things and it's all about political intrigue and backstabbing, this may be for you. If you barely know Transformers like Steven, <laughs> probably not going to be your jam. I'm still I've mad got at enough. You for not giving Last Stand of the Wreckers a chance. And that's been like six years ago. I, uh,
0: I have a passing enough knowledge of the Transformers that I can I can know what's going on. Everybody, you know,
1: you know, know Bumblebee.
0: Yeah, I know Bumblebee, I know Starscream, I know Megatron, I know, um, uh, Ratchet and Clank, uh, I know, uh, RC and, right. uh, the sidekick RC Cola, uh, <laughs> I, I know all the Transformers. I, I know, yeah. uh, I know the GoBots yeah. and I, I know, I know them all.
1: I, yeah, I, I know, uh, Pepsi Convoy. Yeah, yeah. All and, those guys. uh Yeah, sure. I know who Hoist is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know yeah. who Grapple is. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, I know who Hauler is. If you're out there and you're like, "Ooh, who's Hauler?" You are less of a Transformers nerd than me. If you know who Hauler is, congratulations, you've passed my test. Yeah, I know Roadblock, my friend. I know Roadblock. Roadblock. Yeah, don't forget. Roadblock.
0: I know. Uh, uh, I eyes. know Beachhead and Torpedo. Yeah. I know Pinky all pie.
1: The, uh, Yes, I know all the Transformers. Yeah, the, the purple pie man of Porcupine Peak. <laughs> he knows all the important transformers.
0: Yeah, yeah. Don't forget uh, care the care bear stare that the Transformers all do at the right. end of every episode. Leader
1: one and Matt mm-hmm. Tracker and Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what what's the bottom line on this? Three slices of meatloaf. Uh I'm waiting for the mirror universe of gem, where uh the misfits are this uh under underrated band but honestly i liked it it's a very well drawn issue i feel like everybody looks great and if you're looking for the visuals of how do i know that this is xyz it is 100% clear who everybody is in this so that's, that's great. the great it's just part
0: a, is it just a color swap is that what happens for everybody
1: there's color swap sometimes there's uh you know little bits of uh swapped accessory like I said Optimus has glowing red eyes like the Decepticons did in the cartoon. Yeah. Uh Starscream has uh, little bits and pieces of uh, uh what did they call him Jet Jetstream or Sky Pants or uh he had two different names. Sky Pants Jetstream. Sky Friday nights Pants on Jets. ABC. Starring the Factor and Adrian Zemed.
0: Yeah, you know, all that good stuff. So wait, what's the wait, bottom wait, line? I'm wait, sorry. You've probably said Three this twice.
1: Slices of meatloaf. I've said it like nine times. Are you sure? Okay. I have.
0: So that'd be like 27 We're slices of we the evil
1: mirror universe where, you know, <laughs> you're not listening. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm trying to, re- no I'm reason.
0: trying to deal with a family thing on the side. So sorry. Oh. There are people messaging me about silly, silly, stupid things, but that's okay. Let's talk about important things like comic books. Uh, right? and specifically out this week from Dark Horse Comics, Stranger Things, Tomb of Yebwen, number one. Uh, I joking, Y-B-W-E-N. Now, I jokingly this past week on the Dueling Review podcast said, oh, this is just newbie backwards. And we had a big laugh. Well, guess what? It's actually newbie backwards because this uh, story takes place shortly after, like uh, just a couple of months after season three of Stranger Things, where uh, Bob Newby, Bob uh, Newman, uh, played by Sean Astin, uh, has died. Spoiler alert! Oh, he killed him. Uh, yeah, Bob Newby got killed, uh, by the aliens. So if you've not seen, uh, the uh, is it Alien Two, Aliens? Yeah, if you haven't seen that one, that's all Stranger Things season three is about. Um, but anyway, the uh, Will and, and Joyce, Will specifically, is still kind of all broken up that Bob died, and uh, the head of the AV club, Mister Clark says, Hey, Will. uh, as I was cleaning out the AV closet, I found all this stuff that Bob left behind and I'm sure he would love for you to have this stuff because Bob was the founder of the AV club and he was always coming up with real cool puzzles and clues and all these things. And he's like, here, look at this stuff. And they're going through it. And there's something in there that even Mr. Clark didn't know existed. Uh, Mr. Clark and Bob were, were friends when they were in high school. Um, Hmm. it's a, it's a map to something and there's an X marks the spot. And Will is like, oh, me and my friends, we are totally going down to solve this, solve this mystery and get the buried treasure of one eyed Willie. And unfortunately, all of Will's friends are like, dude, it's like a snowstorm and we should just all stay home and play Dungeons and Dragons. And Will's like, yeah, fine. I guess I'm just going to go home and I'll go get some stuff and I'll come back. But really what he's doing is in the middle of a winter storm, he is heading out into the Indiana woods to look for Bob Newby's treasure, one-eyed Willie's treasure. And I say one-eyed Willie because not only was Sean Astin in the Goonies, but this story kind of feels like it's setting you up to kind of be like the Goonies movie. And I have, Mm. I'd have to go and look what year did Goonies come out? My brain
1: says 84,
0: 85. So if it did come out in 85, that would be perfect because that is the year that this story takes place. Yes. 1985. That is the year this story takes place. And uh, so I can't help but wonder if there isn't a huge connection between Sean Astin, the Goonies, and them deciding to go with this kind of storyline. I have no idea what's going to come next because it does kind of end with Will going off into the wilderness of a snowstorm looking for this buried treasure that Bob obviously left for him all those years ago so that they could go and have, have some fun. And that's and that's a great little story. It's a great setup. I really kind of want to see if kind of a Goonies adventure plays out in Mm -hmm. this series. I think that would be kind of fun to see a Stranger Things take on that.
1: And so, Bob, the one who's played by the Red Guardian,
0: no, uh, Bob Newby is played by Sean Astin, who is uh, who's in the Goonies. You're thinking was uh, yes, Sean Astin was Goonies. Never give up. Goonies never say die. I thought that was Cable. No, that's Josh Brolin who played the older brother brand.
1: Hmm. But he was in the Goonies.
0: Yeah, Josh Brolin and Sean Aust- Aston were both in the Goonies, as was Corey Feldman. Uh Jeff Cohen, Carrie Green, Corey Feldman, uh Keehan Quan uh played um what was his that kid's name? The kid the yeah. uh, what was it? Data, data, yeah, yeah. Martha Plimpton was also in that thing, so yes. So those were all the people that were that were in the Goonies. Um, here's the problem, though. I really like the story, and I want to give really high rating to Greg Pak for the writing of the story. I think it's really well done. I think it's really well executed. Nothing against Diego Galinod Galinod as a person or an artist, but. Matthew, you know how I feel when it comes to tracing images.
1: Yes. You dislike it when it looks like a comic book has put a filter on existing pictures. And it feels
0: like in order to get this story together, that they have gone through and found frames from the Stranger Things TV series, traced over it, and then put a heavy line on on top of it and colored it uh, to make it look like a comic book. But there are pages where it's just like, no, this is straight up just a trace of stranger things the the t v show in an art form, and it's and it's weird too because like um toothless uh the kid that plays toothless, he's always wearing this uh baseball cap, this red or blue and white baseball cap with a red brim. there're scenes where it's like snowstorming heavy in Indiana in January, and these kids are wearing like clothes that they wore in the t v series, but the t v series takes place like in the late summer early fall mm. Mm-hmm. So they're wearing light clothing. And so when you see them in the comic book and it's, they're standing out in the snow and they're wearing light clothing, it's like no kid in 1985 from Indiana would be dressed like that. And so it just, it, the artwork is not, is not my favorite Mm -hmm. and it feels very odd and disjointed and it feels out of place compared to the backgrounds. So because of that, and I'm just because of my personal distaste for that, I'm taking a whole slice of meatloaf away from this thing, but it still ends up pretty good. I'm given, uh, the stranger things, tomb of new Wabin, newbie backwards, mm-hmm. four slices of meatloaf out of five. It could have been much higher, but I just really hate the art. I wish they could have gotten away from this idea that we have to make the characters look like the characters on the TV show you know, and done some, something that looks close to it, but do it in your own art style way, as opposed to this thing that looks like it's like it's traced. And I just don't care for it. So it's, it's going to get dinged on that for me. Maybe you like it and that's fine. That's why I'm not knocking this down. Cause technically if I hated the art, the most that this book could get is a two and a half slices of meatloaf. Um, but I'm not, I'm saying the, the writing really shines here. Cool. Uh, and so that's, that's bringing that up. So, Four slices of meatloaf out of five. If you want to buy either Transformer Shattered Glass or the Stranger Things Tomb of Newbie backwards. Number one, um, you can go and get these through the affiliate links on the Major Spoilers website. Uh, You just click on those uh, Comixology links and that will take you to the Comixology page where you can find these things. Uh, And then, in fact, I will actually put a link to the actual issues in the show notes for this episode. And so when you click on those links and you go over to Comixology and you buy those in those digital formats, a little bit comes back our way. And that's, that's yet another way that we can get uh, Ashley and Rodrigo and Matthew on this show each the and time. every week. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So no Rodrigo, no Ashley. We will miss them both. Um, if you have comments, if you have thoughts, if you have reactions to anything that we've said so far, you want to make a correction, you want to make a uh, recommendation, you want to you wanna write in... Like uh, last week, let me see if I can find this really fast. Uh, this is billing agreement cancellation confirmation. That's not it. Uh, trying to connect. No, that's not it. Uh, we will it probably says here. Get- you may
1: have network
0: connectivity. Oh, issues. here we go. Here we go. Or uh, since we don't have the others, we have time to do this uh, listener feedback. This is coming from Rot Lop Fan. Uh, this is actually his name is Frank. I don't know if he wants me to say his last initial or not. Uh, But he says hello. Just checked out podcast nine four four. I was pleased to hear the discussion examining the high low art class divide. I'm working class and have loved comics as a literary form my whole life, regardless of media, from Bazooka Joe and Wolverine uh, to uh, a bunch of I'm I'm thinking they're European comics, Emblem books, and so on. To the listener's question, maybe check out the Abstract Comics anthology so you can affordably if you can affordably find it. That is, and to me that indicates uh, that indicates the eight hundred pound gorilla. Genre in our audience really means market, and so all the usual dominant capitalist distortions, the U.S. is particularly bad uh, bad due to the, uh, the a word from the 1950s attack on EC and all the potential uh, ill it fostered, both market-wise and for the industry's workers, before TV dealt its blows. So here we are, 70 years on, where most of us can't afford to buy or make a living at that which push us, pushes the form forward, particularly in a paper medium. Uh, And we are all the worse for it, including the hero Duopoly. It sucks that a cheap proletarian art form that began by drawing obscene parodies of the nobility on the discarded cartons has been constrained to such commercial immaturity and division. That's a lot there. So thanks again for inspiring discussion and, pers- and pursuing my two cents. My experience is that the popular stuff is appreciated by even the most esoteric fan to the form. But the worst difficulty is with audiences that lack appreciation beyond the genre marketed to them. Ditko pointed out the difference between childish consumption for pure stimulation versus that for engagement of critical thought. He was a master of the form. And his politics aside, he was right. But as I am now too tired from work for further abstraction, I'll end this screed, watch Batman, and go to bed. Looking forward to checking out and hopefully supporting what else uh, you have to offer. That is from Frank. So there you go. So some some feedback from Frank. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm glad that people uh, enjoyed our discussion uh, from last time. It was certainly something I wasn't expecting us to spend as much time on, but it was... Uh, such a good discussion that I'm glad we spent the time that we did on it last time.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. So if you have any comments or questions or other thoughts and things, drop us an email podcast at major spoilers.com, just like Frank did. And maybe you will hear your words on a future episode. Uh, Let's see. Oh, um, if you want to know what we're watching, what we're reading or what we're listening to, Mm. You definitely do want to check out the pre-show because one of the things that we talked about in the pre-show this week, in addition to um, Gene Roddenberry, mm. was a discussion on the uh, Squid Game TV series over on Netflix. So if you want to hear Matthews. Ray well, not Ray Bradbury. Yeah, Ray, Ray Bradbury, not Gene Roddenberry. Gene, Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> Brad Gene Rodden. Just that's who it was. Um, but definitely go check out that Major Spoilers pre-show. You can get it when you become a Silver Level member and higher at patreon.com slash major spoilers. It's literally just a few bucks a month. Uh, if yeah. you can afford a comic book, if you can afford a cup of coffee, then you can definitely afford to become a silver level member over at patreon.com major spoilers. And if you can't, that's fine too. We are happy to continue to produce these shows uh, free of charge to you. And we do produce quite a few of them and release those out into the world for everybody. Uh, okay. Let us talk about, The Amazing Spider-Man, the ultimate newspaper comic collection, volume two, 1979 through 1981, which I think includes and concludes John Romita's art duties on the series. Mm -hmm. I only remember reading the Spider-Man in the newspaper once, and this Mm -hmm. was probably in
2: 1980.
0: I think it was maybe 81. I believe that there was a comic book adaptation of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I remember going to my great grandfather's house in Kansas City one day for whatever reason. Guy never spoke a a lick of English, so I never really was able to talk to him. But one day I just sat, was at their house, and I sat down and opened up his newspaper, and there was Spider Man in the newspaper. And the sad thing was, it was only three panels, and I was like, oh man, is there any more of this? Uh, We don't subscribe to the Kansas City Star. And so uh, I never found out what happened beyond those three panels, but I th- found it fascinating that there was a Spider-Man comic in the newspaper section and then in the comic section of the newspaper.
1: Yeah, and he just kept saying, "Ich hasse meinen Enkel. Ich hasse meinen Enkel." Um, yeah, I have never in my life uh, encountered a Spider-Man newspaper strip in the really? wild. Okay which is weird because I have bumped into Howard the duck. uh, Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And a few, you know, some of the Superman strips, but very rarely have I run into anything like this. And I don't know that it's even just that I'm not looking for it because I used to read uh, the comics page of my local Mm newspaper.
0: Oh yeah. Well, here's the thing. Here's part of the problem. Uh, according to the information that is in this collection from IDW publishing, At Mm. max, the Amazing Spider-Man was in 500 papers nationwide. Mm. And when you think about like the Beloit uh, Tumbleweed or whatever your newspaper was.
1: It was the Daily Call, Mr.
0: (laughs) The Daily Call. (laughs) Um, That is probably not one of the newspapers it ran in. So like I said, I only remember seeing it in the Kansas City Star. Uh, And that was only one time. And it may not have been very popular because I think after... After 81, it started to decline from papers. But here's the other amazing thing that I didn't know. The Amazing Spider-Man newspaper comic strip ran in newspapers until 2019. Yeah. Which, again, when you say, oh, I've never caught this in the wild, seems rather weird considering that it ran until just a few years ago when they finally said, "Ah, it's not worth it to continue doing this.
1: And they never retconned the wedding either.
0: Yeah. And so that's, that's the interesting thing because as this volume starts out, we obviously, I didn't have access to volume one, uh, either at some point IDW may have sent us a review copy. I don't know, but this was the only review copy that I had in our collection was the, um, was volume two. But in this one, Mary Jane, for at least the very first big story arc is nowhere to be found. We later found out that she's hooking up with, uh, Craven, the hunter and as part of his circus act. But, um, Peter Parker is dating some woman named Carol. And I was like, who is this woman? And so in this, we are in a totally different universe. We are in, uh, what is it is universe, uh, 77013. And the reason why it's 77013 is because that is the very first date of publication, January 3rd, 1977.
1: (laughs) That's how, uh, many of the alternate earths of the Marvel universe work, by the way, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's very, it's very jarring to read this and not know, number one, that it's a alternate universe, that mm-hmm. things like the marriage were never retconned, that, you know, there is, there was somebody who was very important in Peter Parker's life besides Gwen Stacy and, and Mary Jane. Uh, right. it It is, it's really kind of crazy. And the fact that the Kingpin, at least in this uh, two, three year run that we have here plays a bigger role in the storylines than what you would normally see in a comic book run over the course of, of two years. Yeah. And a say, couple
1: of these uh, parts of the Kingpin story and a big chunk of the Prowler story are alternate versions of things that did happen in the baseline earth six one six. Well, I'm not so
0: in the very first story, there is someone who is, um, I don't know. He's got, he breaks out of jail. Thanks to the help of the Kingpin. And he's running around impersonating Spider-Man, but committing all of these crimes. Mm -hmm. And Peter Parker is like, I don't remember doing any of this. Yet people have this footage of Spider-Man going and committing these crimes. Is something happening when I'm sleeping and I don't remember this? And part of me wants to go, oh, wait a minute. This kind of feels like they later repurpose that kind of uh, paranoia in the Venom run where Peter Parker Mm -hmm. was when he got his new suit where at night he would sleep and then he'd wake up and he's like, I don't remember doing any of this stuff. So I don't know if the newspapers ended up being a part of the fodder for future Spider-Man stories or not. It kind of feels that way. And like you said, we're f- changing some of the things that like you said with the Prowler of mm-hmm. what came before.
1: Yeah. And I, for the life of me, don't remember who would be writing at this point. Was this, this was
0: Stan Lee was writing, was, was writing Stan and remain. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then yeah, I think
0: in in maybe halfway through this uh somebody else came in to start writing this instead of Stanley um but they kept Stanley's name on it. So it was kind of ghost
1: written yeah, by Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas, Thomas. Yeah. writing it in like 2000. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I mean I really did like how very <laughs> 1979 that whole story with Nino and his, you know, big feathered hair pretending to be Spider-Man <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. And I I really appreciated the, you know, the take on the Prowler because the Prowler isn't necessarily somebody that you're immediately going to recognize. Mm -hmm. Most people are going to be like, I remember him from the video game. So, you know, I I liked all of this, but it's really kind of disturbing to go, "Okay, everything about Spider, just forget everything you know about Spider-Man.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what you have to do. In fact, I would say that I'm, I'm curious because it feels like I I would have to go back and read some actual Spider-Man comics from this same period, Mm -hmm. but it feels like the way that Romita, this is senior is Mm -hmm. drawing Peter Parker. It feels like he's almost drawing the, uh, Nicholas Hammond TV Spider-Man in
1: this. He might have been that show came out in 78.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. And I didn't know if you knew If there was anything going on with that, but it just kind of felt like, oh, uh, this Peter Parker reminds me of TV show, Peter Parker.
1: I mean, at the beginning of this, this is very much just the way Romita draws Spider-Man with slightly shaggier hair.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, kind of like when the Archie characters get their clothes redrawn and recolored. So you can be like, hey, it's not 1954, Reggie. yeah, yeah. But yeah. you do also have uh interesting moments where Romita is actually a more skilled artist than he was. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's always been great, but this actually feels in places, you know, especially those Sunday strips, more detailed mm-hmm. and more in-depth than I'm used to seeing yeah, from so you know his run. I,
0: I guess before I don't know if Romita started on this series, but originally when this first started the very first run of the newspaper strips mm-hmm. because it was daily. Uh, the first artist couldn't keep up because I guess Stan wanted all this detail in the backgrounds mm-hmm. and in the clothing and all this stuff. And the artist just couldn't keep up. And so Ramita came in and did it. If I remember the the story correctly, and he was able to do that on the daily basis and provide all of this detail. But I think he also Ramita says, It was kind of weird that Stan was always asking us for all this detail because by the time you shrunk this down to newspaper comic book uh, book size, a lot of that is lost. And I think that may be one of the nice things about this collection is these are not presented in, from the way I looked at it, these are not presented in the format or in the same size as they would have been in your newspaper. These are presented slightly larger. Now, the newspaper or the Sunday ones may be shrunk down a little bit, but I think the dailies are a little bit bigger because you're getting three per page.
1: Yeah. And they do feel, I mean, again, you know, I was reading comic pages in the, in the mid eighties. They feel like they are probably maybe 20% larger than you'd have seen them in my regular, mm-hmm. you know, with mm-hmm. the exception of Doonesbury, right. which, uh, part of his contract the family it has to be a certain size. Yeah. Well, the family circus is just a circle.
0: Yeah. I'll see. It's a lot different. Yeah. That's a different
1: circus. Circus. Oh,
0: circus of life. It's the circus of life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. The, the art in this is just really fantastic to look at and looking at some of the changes. Now, the first storyline is, uh, is Peter Parker crazy? Uh, no, it's, it's Kingpin trying to do (laughs) stuff. Uh, the second storyline I found super fascinating and was my favorite. And it may be one of the longer arcs in this collection is when his girlfriend Carol gets uh, wrapped up in this love cult run by this guy called Loomis. Mm -hmm. And when you look at Loomis in the book, I was just like, is this this taking a swipe at Jim Steranko? Because this guy has this like beautifully coiffed hair and he's wearing sunglasses and turtlenecks and, you know, scarves around his neck. And I was like, this just feels like latter-day... Jim Steranko, but Steranko didn't kind of dress like. I mean, I found a picture of Steranko in eighty eight, or not 88, 1980 Kind of looked like the Loomis in the comic strip, but not, but not quite. It would be very hard for you to try to make that connection. But if you looked at uh, Steranko today, or one of the older pictures of uh, more recent pictures of him, you would Mm -hmm. totally say that Ramita was like, oh, this is Jim Steranko, and I'm drawing him as this crazy. Escaped convict from a mental institution (laughs) who's gone uh, undergone plastic surgery. Uh, By the way, also kind of the uh, uh, gimmick in the Joker in the Batman '89 movie. And then the guy is going to go around proclaiming that he is this uh, love god Loomis and getting all of his followers to go out and commit these horrible crimes in the uh, in the name of love. Also a song in the name of love. Yeah, exactly. And I I found that one just crazy just crazy because again I don't know if the loomies are supposed to be kind of like the moonies mm-hmm. and you know, what's going on there. But I just found that whole storyline fascinating to the point where at one point, now this is years after the night Gwen Stacy dies, but there is a moment where, where Carol gets thrown off the top of a building and Spider-Man rescues her at the very last second. And I, again, I don't know since this is a totally different universe, if it was intended to kind of feel like the night Gwen Stacy died or what. But, uh, I found that, that's super fascinating in that whole arc.
2: I heard my
1: mom. Sorry. I took Loomis as a reference to the right Reverend Jim Jones. Oh yeah. I can see he that. Could have have yeah, been yeah, yeah. All over the papers in November yeah. of 78. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are a couple of different people that it could be, and it could be, you know, a composite thing. Mm-hmm. There's a, a couple of storylines in the comics of the era that are very clearly, uh, talking about the unification church and, you know, mm-hmm. Dealing with different uh, real life cults in kind of a quasi satirical manner. And I don't know. I mean, that whole thing was most shocking for me in that I had never heard of Carol Jennings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, who? Hopeless Carol? Because she looks yeah, there are like some
0: Gwen Stacy. She does. Goes, oh. Yeah, she does. And there is, uh, when I was going and do. I don't have the list in front of me, but there's a whole list of characters that are unique specifically to the comic strip that have never appeared in the comic books. Now I say that because, uh, 77013 earth actually appeared in that big spider verse, um, event.
1: Yeah. Yeah, The big crossover thing. I think he got killed.
0: I can't remember or not. So I'm not saying that some of those characters that might've been originals to the strips didn't appear in comic books, but they haven't appeared in comic books prior to that event.
1: A lot, a lot of Spider-Man. There's
0: definitely a lot of Spider-Man's out there. Uh, as you said, there's a story that features the Prowler. Uh, there is a story. Gosh, I forget some of the other stories uh, that, are, that are in the collection. It's almost 300 pages of comics. So it, you know it's two years yeah. worth it's of comic strips. Years. And so and that's. I,
1: I do like the layout where you get every three pages, you get a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do yeah. two sets of three and then the mm-hmm. big Sunday. And then the big Sunday. And yeah. the Sunday strips, Sunday strips tend to be designed so that you can cut out the first part. Mm-hmm. If, you know, somebody wants to, well, but I really not like only, seeing the evolution of those title bars at the yes. top, you know?
0: Yes. The title That's bar at the top is very interesting. I don't have the entire history of that, but mm-hmm. that title bar being totally separate from the main comic,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and this happens in Calvin and Hobbes, this happens in Peanuts, this happens in every big major Sunday strip where that whole title bar is separate from the main comic because there are places where they were cutting out that top part and just running the main, the main comic to save space. Yep. Um, so yes, that is, that is fun to look at the evolution of that. Um, there is, there is a whole Craven storyline where Craven comes back to prove that Spider-Man is an alien.
1: Yes. I love that bit. Spider-Man agrees to go on Tom Snyder. Let's get to that in just a minute, but go ahead. Give a blood sample. Mm Mm-hmm. To prove that he's not an alien, and I'm like, "What?
0: Oh, it is the craziest storyline, right? Even, even Aunt May is yes. like, "Oh, that ter- terrible Spider-Man is an alien, and the saucers are going to be invading every moment. And <laughs> Peter's like, "No, Aunt May, I'm pretty sure he's just a regular person." And then like all the conspiracy nuts come forward, and I don't remember if it's a newspaper with J.J. Uh, uh, Jameson, or if it was uh, some man on the street thing, but somebody's like, "He's not wearing a mask. That's his actual face.
1: Come down and he give us some chicklets.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a crazy story. So there's a lot of comic in here for you to read. And my recommendation would be to never read this all in one sitting or try to read it in one sitting. <laughs> I honestly <laughs> would say, try to spread it out. If you want, try to spread it out to maybe one major arc a week. Now, some of the arcs are much longer than others. Like I said, the Loomis uh, cult line is one that I think ran like 18 weeks maybe more than 18 weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it certainly ran a lot. Um, But I found that one very fascinating. But, you know, take it in chunks, and you'll know when the chunk ends. They do a great job of transitioning from one storyline into the other without a lot Mm -hmm. of wasted time. That's the other thing that's so amazing is when you're telling a daily strip and you've only got three panels to tell it in, there's some great storytelling to be found in this. And I think it might have been a little frustrating to try to read this on a daily basis because... There's perfect setups going on in this in each and every panel, and you get to the end of the panel and you're like, "Oh no, what's going to happen next?" And then you have to kind of repeat and advance the story each and every day and end yeah. on a new cliffhanger. and it's just it's just brilliantly done uh, from that standpoint,
1: yeah. One of the big complaints that you know, I find and that I hear from people in collections of strips is every strip recaps. Mm-hmm. so, you know you're you're losing a third of your space to recap. and, I don't know if it's Stan and Larry or if it's, you know, just the way that it's laid out, but this doesn't have that problem. I mean, no, it's very smooth. Yeah. And you can look at three strips at a time and see how, okay, they're putting in information, you know, you'll see in the middle strip they'll, they'll have, you know, a bar at the top explaining what's going on, but It feels really, really natural. It feels organic within that story. And I, you know, again, I can't tell you if that's Stan or if it's Larry, because Larry is Mm -hmm. one of those guys where you're like, hey, this great story that Stan wrote and you go back and you look and it's, oh, that's Larry. Yeah. Um, Um, So I don't Larry Lieber. Yeah. Stan's little brother.
0: Yeah. So and that's the other thing, too, is when you, well, go back and read about some of the stuff that Stan had to do when he had to fire like everybody at Marvel at one point and that well, you can you know, understand Stan why was
1: actually hired by his wife's uncles. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but um,
0: but yeah, this and I and I and I will have to give credit that it's probably a Stan or a Larry and a John's history with writing comics and how to how to tell stories in comic book form that makes these feel perfect in their individual morsels, but reading, you know, a full page of comic at once, it's like, "Oh, this makes complete sense. This is just fast-paced and and runs smoothly from one panel to the next."
1: Yeah. And they use an existing literary or visual device, I guess I should say, where Spider-Man's his spider sense goes off and Ramita will draw half of his spider face as like yeah. a ghost image. Yeah. 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 Sometimes for you know a week at a time. That's the only Spider-Man you get. Mm-hmm. But they use it so judiciously that you never go more than a strip or two without seeing Spider-Man in some form, be it just his mask or You know, Peter transforming whatever it is you need to do. I really appreciate that because that's something that Ditko did in the comics as early as 64, 65. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But here it becomes an important part of keeping that strip continuity going from, you know, day to day.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about the Tom Snyder bit. Let's talk about the fact Mm -hmm. that Richard Nixon shows up in this comic strip, (laughs) not once, but multiple times.
1: Uh the, you know, the last uh, one is my favorite, where the Kingpin finds out that Nixon is moving in next door. Yeah. And, and game recognized game, Nixon's yeah. like, yeah, he stays on his crimes and I'll stay on mine.
0: Like half the cast of Barney Miller shows up in this. In fact, <laughs> uh 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 Mike Wallace Cindy is Carter in here. Shows up. Yeah, like everybody shows up in this. And so you may be wondering, wow, why would they put all of these famous people in this comic strip? And and the reason is not just to, you know. Call, you know, people out or make fun of people kind of like in a mad magazine kind of way. Mm -hmm. But because Stan, when he was doing the strip, he wanted it to stand out uh, compared to, you know, every other strip that it was competing with. So if you're flipping through us and you're like, hey, Mike Wallace is in here or, oh, there's Tom Snyder or, oh, there's Johnny Carson or, you know, there's this, you know, one of the Sunday strips has like Muhammad Ali in it. And it's got uh, Larry King and it's just got, you know, a who's who uh, throughout this. So the cameos in this book are, are fantastic. And it's all because Stan Lee thought that if we put in these well, rec- these, these recognizable characters that people will be looking for that in future comics or future strips. So therefore they want to pay attention to what's going on in Spider-Man. If for nothing else to say, Hey, it's that guy or, Oh, it's that woman. And, yep. and I would say probably every third page or so there's a recognizable face. Now, again, some of them are not as recognizable to current generation. Like for example, um, Abe Vigoda is definitely in a couple of panels, but the, and I forget his name, uh, the Asian, uh, actor in Barney Miller. I'm almost guarantee you that in, I think it's the last story that he is the person who's working with Spider-Man to try to kind of solve the case,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, because it looks just like him. So, when you're reading through this and all of a sudden you think that somebody may look maybe not comic booky enough, but maybe a cartoon personification of a real life person, more than likely that is the case. And the reason was we want to do it as a gimmick to get people's eyeballs. Now, uh, in the IDW reading material that is included with this collection, uh, I, that's the only reason that I could find about the likenesses. I didn't see anything about likeness issues, or Uh we used Mike Wallace and he got mad at us or tried to sue us. I didn't see anything like that in the book. Maybe these celebrities were uh, flattered that their likeness was used in a comic book, but I know today it would be very hard to do it unless you were doing it in parody form. And most uh certainly in these comic strips, it's not done as parody. Mike Wallace shows up to do an interview with the Kingpin and it's a straight up, they don't call it 60 minutes but Thought it's a it straight is. up news interview show that Mike Wallace shows up to the Kingpin's house to conduct.
1: Yep. And there's, there's that one Sunday strip where you mentioned Ali, uh-huh. that same strip has Cronkite. Johnny, yeah. Johnny, Johnny Carson, Carson, Barbara Walters and mm-hmm. the village people. Yeah. The village people and, show up and I was just and like, you're what? Just, yeah. They're singing a song about Spider-Man, but yeah, I really like that because, you know, Stan was really good at what I call the topical references. Yes. yes. Some of the most memorable moments of Spider-Man in the late 60s, early 70s, like Flash Thompson went to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. That is entirely a topical reference because, you know, even by 1980, Flash Thompson could not have been in Vietnam. Right. You know, Peter Parker's 20 years old five years ago, but I like that because it does as you're reading it. Cement it as taking place in a real world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe not the real world, but no, a world because, that's recognizably.
0: And that's and that's part of the thing about the Richard Nixon thing. Um, and I, something I didn't know, but uh, you know, Richard Nixon spent time after he left office really looking to move to New York. He wanted to sell uh, San Clemente and wanted to move to New York and spend a lot of time uh, trying to find a place in New York. And people didn't want him around. Uh, just because they didn't, you know, building associations or whoever, uh, didn't want Nixon people to know that they lived in the same building as Nixon. The thing is, by the time that Nixon appeared in this comic strip, he mm-hmm. had already bought a place in New York and already sold it and moved to New Jersey by the time he appeared in the comic book. But the reason to keep him around in that was that people were still talking about it. Right. And so it made sense to just include Nixon. And I love the bit where Nixon is like. Should I just stay at home inside away from uh, everyone? No, I shall go out and be part of the common people. <laughs> and I'm just like, "Wow, that is that is such a a great Simpson's take on Richard Nixon." Uh yeah. in in this comic.
1: Uh, that future oh. Nixon yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah, this yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. Line. I really do think that first of all, as a a comic book reader, it does take a remarkably long time for me to get used to the rhythm of three strips, three strips weekends. Right. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, I've spent my whole life listening to the monkeys. Now I've got this really killer public enemy album. Right. And you know, it's not exactly the same, but I can, you know, I can kind of get into it and I can dig Mm -hmm. it. And, uh, at the beginning of reading this, I was cursing you. I was so unhappy. Well, and it took a while. Why were you unha- to unhappy?
0: Just because it wasn't the Spider-Man you knew?
1: Part of it was the, oh my God, another alternate reality. but i'm oh, yeah, I'm yeah. usually pretty solid with that. It was really the difficulty of a strip because when I see three, you know, three strips, nine panels, I'm expecting, left to right progression i'm expecting it to be continuing and this is not this is you know three discrete bits of story and as we said the transitions are pretty great Mm -hmm. but as you go through it my brain wants to consider it a whole you know image wants to try and read it like a comic page and it takes a while to you know train myself out of doing that which You know, I'm like, damn you, Steven.
0: Well, and I can, and I can definitely tell you that once you understand the rhythm of the way the story is being told, there are definitely panels and sections of the page that you can skip. Like Mm -hmm. when it comes to the Sunday pages, I never paid attention to the top strip because either it was a repeat of something that had gone on before or had nothing to do with the main storyline. So you can just skip a third of the page and get right to the meat of the story in those cases. And again, the other reason why I wanted to look at newspaper strips and we've got some more coming up. Uh, Let me see. I know next year we have some more. I want to say we have one more. We have Steve Canyon coming up Mm -hmm. and we also have that's it for this year. And the next year uh, we have Flash Gordon and the Death Planet, which I which is also newspaper strips. That may be our last run of newspaper strips is is coming up next uh, year, early next year. But the whole reason Definitely. why I wanted to look at the newspaper strips is because when we talk about comics, we often leave out the newspaper as, I, I, and, and I'm not saying people do this. I just see this as a trend, where people mm-hmm. tend to ignore the newspaper comic strip as a quote-unquote legitimate comic uh, book strip art, whatever you want to call it, when in mm-hmm. fact it's just the opposite. It's like comic books wouldn't be around if it wasn't for the comic strip, and comic mm-hmm. strips are its own unique thing as far as storytelling goes, but it has all of the same gravitas and merit that a comic book does. Right. Some people really understand how to tell serialized stories in comic book, in comic strip newspaper uh, strip form. Uh, I think amazing Spider-Man is a perfect example of that. I think Brenda star is a perfect example of that. I think uh, what's his name? Mark, uh, Mark trail uh, is a good example of that. And there are some that don't necessarily work. I think Mandrake, didn't necessarily work uh, very well. I would say that as much as people love him, um, uh, Prince Valiant, I don't think works uh, from the storytelling perspective. I just don't. I just think that the they get too caught up in, let's repeat what we just told you, have one page or one panel of new stuff, and then cliffhanger that we're going to repeat next issue, which is what Amazing Spider-Man does. I just don't think that Prince Valiant does it as well. So I think that while we look at all of these comic books and we review comic books and we review trade paperbacks, which are collections of trade paperbacks. I also think that it's kind of important that occasionally every once in a while, we spend some time looking at these newspaper strips and finding out, well, which people were really good at this and which ones really weren't good at this. And let's look at some ones that people might consider classics and, uh, you know, seminal works in this form and, mm-hmm. and talk about them. And, and i I approach this. I, I we certainly could if people wanted us to. Uh, you can write to us podcast at major spoilers.com and let us know if you wanted us to look at Garfield. I'm sure we could look at Garfield. I'm sure we could look at peanuts. I'm sure we could look at, you know uh, you know, things like that. I'm sure we could even do a whole thing on web comics and look at like PVP and, and uh, others. Um, but I think that, I think peanuts is a very different type of comic strip than what the amazing Spider-Man is in a comic strip form because, While peanuts does do serialized storytelling over the course of a week or two, it's basically a gag strip, you know, let's get to the gag every, every, uh, day and let's tell the punchline. And then tomorrow we've got another gag that we need to tell. That's not what Spider-Man does. You know, to me, peanuts and Garfield and uh, Ziggy and all those are, are, let's just tell a joke as opposed to let's tell a story. And so that's why we've been focusing on the one the strips that we've been focusing on. But if people want us to look at, you know, Peanuts or anything like that, we can certainly do that. The Wizard of Id, if you want us to go into that, or uh, uh, what is it, B, BC. Not B.C.? God, let's not do B.C.
1: Let's not do B.C.
0: No, no because there's a whole BC. there's a whole problem with B.C. that just causes <laughs> me to scratch my head and go, no, you do,
1: what are you Cave doing? Caveman celebrating Christmas. Caveman yes. celebrating Christmas. Yes, exactly.
0: Exactly. There's... Yes, and that that goes into the uh, intent of the creator. The his legitimate intent of the, of that was to inject his Christian beliefs into these caveman comic strips. So, right. uh Beetle Bailey, you know, all of these, uh Blondie. Well, we could look at all those, but those are strips that are set up to tell a gag, not a strip set up to tell a story. So that's why I'm focusing on the strips that tell a story as right. opposed to the to the gag strips. Um, and I, so that's that's know, kind of my approach to doing this over the last year, and I'm sure going forward in the future, you know, every year I try to focus on something, whether it be like this year, the Star Trek crossovers and the newspaper strips, or in the past that we've done with the Six Gun and Harrow County and some of those others, um, and like we do every year with Atomic Robo and Asterix, um, I think we probably will continue to look at some newspaper strips going forward.
1: Eh, I'm fine with it. I think that when you look at uh, comics in in a lot of ways are an archaic art form, and You know, if you look at a comic book, it's kind of like the old film strips that we used to watch in high school in the 80s. And if you look at a comic strip, it's kind of like uh, the Viewmasters that we used to look at that were cut from those same specifically Disney film strips. You know, they're both archaic. They're very much related, but they're also very different forms. And I think that to say a comic strip is lesser because it's a strip. I just think that there's a yeah. lot of people out there who feel that way. I think there are. You know, I've been that kid, and I tell you, being that kid sucks. First of all, because <laughs> you know, you get, you get bored, and nobody wants to fight with you. But more importantly, it really does keep you from being exposed to some fun stuff. And this is a fun Spider-Man story. Yeah, that you're not going to have access to. That's probably never going to be collected again. It's hard to collect in the first place because mm-hmm. again, you know, the original art was probably set on fire and rolled down a hill.
0: <laughs> I don't know so, about that, but I, but I do know that I, I agree with you. This is some good storytelling. I think this is worth checking out. I mean, you know, the, this is a IDW when it collects things like this. These are collections you should treasure. These are things that you put on your coffee table. These are things that you want to set out and beautiful. have everybody to look at. Right. Family Circus and Dennis the Menace and BC and all this stuff. These are things that they used to put out uh, collections in, in paperback form uh, like digest paperback form when, uh, when my, my parents were young because I would go to my grandparents house growing up and the bookshelves were just filled with these peanuts collections and Dennis the Menace collections and all of these family circus collections that were just the newspaper strips collected in literally the, the the pocket sized uh paperback form not the oh. bigger not the bigger um collections like you found later with calvin and Hobbes and garfield and, and ziggy and that kind of stuff or not ziggy but uh, um, uh, better for worse that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. i've been exposed to comic strip collections for literal decades i was probably reading comic strips long before i ever got into uh comic books and so i You know, I, I have fond memories of this and know how they work, but also see very quickly the failings of a lot of these things in the medium that they're producing, produce daily, produce every single day of a week and a year and a Sunday. And you can really start to see where the great creators rise to the top and where others fall and where others try to rise to the top and then just don't, they hit the midpoint and then they just give up and just stay there in the middle forever. Right. Um, but with this collection specifically, I really liked it. And and I think if you want to be exposed to really good comic strip storytelling and great comic book strip art, this is a good collection. I think that you should have, have, and I, and I really want to track down volume one and see if it's as good as this one, or if it's still trying to get its, you know, foothold, but uh, definitely volume one and volume two together, I think would make a great combo for somebody if you can get your hands on it and again these are going to be hardbound collections so they're going to be 50 bucks or more um right so you're going to have to be aware of that if you go out looking for them
1: but it is a good long read too oh, yeah so. 300
0: i mean two years worth of of strips that is well worth your time effort and energy so for me i would say if you are a fan of comic books and specifically you're a fan of spider-man and really want to get into this to an area where a lot of people are not familiar with Mm-hmm. definitely go and try to get your hands on on these early collections of the, the Spider-Man comic strips. If you're a yeah, casual may- fan, if you can find it at the library, that's fine. But definitely try to get your hands on these things.
1: Make sure that you specify to everyone that you're reading adventures of Earth 77013 Spider-Man so they don't get confused.
0: Yeah, because when you talk about, oh man, that time that Carol got thrown off the building for making out with the crazy uh, religious leader guy... Uh, people are going to go, what are you talking about? You're, you don't know anything about Spider-Man. And then you can go like Matthew all the time. Oh, really? Are you sure? <laughs> and then uh, and then right, people well, will go, huh, how about that? This guy really is, also, a, is a You don't
1: want fan. to get confused with Earth 51914 well, where that, that Spider-Man a, saves everyone with a host of snack cakes. Yeah,
0: and that is, that is a real problem because if you do come in with it like Matthew and I were talking about earlier... If you do come in with it, with this idea of Gwen Stacy killed off the building and that Spider-Man and or Peter Parker and Mary Jane are a a couple that doesn't happen here. And it's and it's very confusing and somewhat disturbing uh, when you first read it. (laughs) Yeah, this ain't that.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So what is your bottom line, Matthew? I think it's definitely worth checking out from the library. Um, I don't know the amount of enjoyment I got out of it is own a $50 hardback enjoyment, but it was a good read. Once I got into the rhythm and I feel like it's, it's worth looking into. It's some pretty art. It's some good stories. It's, it's some spider man. And yeah. you know, if you're a Spider-Man completist, absolutely. I think you want to seek this out and, you know, inject it directly into your veins. So this is the first time you've read this stuff. I'm familiar with it, but like I said, I've never run into Spider-Man, uh, stuff in the wild. You know, I'm aware of things like, yep, they never negated the marriage. And I'm aware of Roy Thomas thinking over the writing. And, but yeah, I haven't sat down and read long chunks of this particular narrative before. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So this is good. It's good to expose yourself to new things. So uh, keep that in mind, kids, as you go out into the world. And as we reach the end of this week's show, we may be a little shorter. I don't know the exact times. Heck, we may be a little long. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, We record... For those of you that are um, who patrons, knows. yeah, for those of you who are patrons, you know that we just do one long recording. We roll from our pre-show, or the show that we we literally roll from the show we record before the Major Spoilers podcast. This week it was top five, and you can listen to top five ABBA songs this week. Be lo- on the lookout for that. We roll right into that, into the pre-show, and right into the pre-show, into the main show, uh, with only stopping to change a file name to get into the Major Spoilers stuff. Uh so um I don't know how long we talked in a pre-show and I don't know how long we've talked now but I'm going to guess like a long pre-show. Yeah, I'm going to guess, let me look here. I'm going to guess that we've probably spent about an hour. Yeah, we've spent a little over an hour you and I talking. That's what happens when Matthew and I are in, actually in a good mood with one another, we end up talking for hours we're not upon end.
1: Hateful monsters today. Wow.
0: <laughs> yes, we're not being hateful monsters today except we are going to wrap up this week's episode of the Major Spoilers podcast. So if you're going to hate us for that,
1: hate us for that. Yeah. But remember, we love you. We love your feedback. So you can join us and all the cool kids at the Major Spoilers at Discord de cerveau to share your thoughts and reactions to the Discord and the episode or Drop us an email. It's podcast at Majorspoilers.com, and you might hear your own words in my voice on an upcoming episode. Yeah, and don't forget, you can support this show and everything
0: we do at Major Spoilers by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash spoilers. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our patrons out there. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our listeners out there, whether you're a patron or not. We will be back next week. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon
2: What a major swallow! What a major spoiler If I'm it's like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the hard cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun, being in the Middle East, with a gang throwing soldiers. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. Wow, wow, wow. What a major spoiler.
0: This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.